Um, no, I'm humbled and honored to be asked to uh, speak again this afternoon. Um, uh, for those of you that don't know me, uh, my name is Jason, and my beautiful wife Megan is right here in the front. Um, <clears throat> and if you're a visitor today, I just want to uh, say, first of all, welcome. Um, I know that there's a lot of things you could be doing on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, I know I personally like to nap, and so um, it is a big sacrifice, uh, and, and we... Um, and we recognize that and realize that you could be elsewhere. And so thank you for coming and checking us out. Um, and if you are a visitor, we would love to get to know you more. Um, so uh, please stick around afterwards and let us meet you. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, uh, so yeah, today we're going to continue with the same theme that we discussed last week. Um, and for those of you that weren't here last week, uh, first off, you missed a pretty amazing sermon. Um <clears throat> But that's done with, uh, you know, we can't go back in time, so I'll recap it for you as best as I can, um, and I should be able to do that pretty well, considering I taught it. So, um, <clears throat> so we are looking at biblical examples of people who had plans that differed from God's plans. Uh, we looked at the story of Joseph and discussed how throughout his lifetime, there were countless times when his plans didn't meet his expectations and it would have been easy for him to have turned his back on God. Uh, we also discussed how throughout our own life, um, there are going to be countless times when our plans don't meet our expectations, and life differs from where we hoped it would go. Um, it is in these times when we, like Joseph, are faced with two options. We can either blame God for our circumstances and put our trust in ourselves or others to fix our situation, or we can lean into God and trust Him and believe that He is in control and His plans are better. Uh, we finished last week by wondering how this community of people here would be changed if we had the same trust and devotion that Joseph held. How instead of blaming God when things don't go according to plan, we are able to trust that God's plans are greater. Not only will our faith grow as we get to witness and experience firsthand uh, God's plan as it is revealed in our own lives, but we will also get to bless others along the way. We never know if God is bringing us through a crisis so we can be a blessing to others later. And so today we're going to continue this discussion and look at another story of the Bible from, of life not going as planned. Um, about five years ago, I was living in Atlanta, and <clears throat> I had been dating this girl for three years. Um, that's a pretty long time, I would say. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I was working full-time as a wedding photographer, and she was working as a wedding coordinator. And so, you know, it seemed like a pretty good match. Uh, we had just celebrated our three-year anniversary, and it was about a week after that when I get the dreaded, we need to talk text. Uh, I think you all know what that means. Um, uh, and if I were to be honest with you, I kind of struggled with that. I was going through a tough time, and it felt like I had lost my best friend. I remember sobbing as I left her apartment. And my mom, like, I don't know how they do it, but she had mom intuition, I guess, and had called me as I was walking from her apartment to my car, and I was barely able to speak through my tears to tell her what had happened. It felt like my whole world was crashing 
down all around me. Uh, in life, there are going to be moments when your world is falling apart, <clears throat> your heart breaks, and all you can do is cry and wonder why God would allow this to happen. Sometimes these moments are going to be extremely personal, a breakup or a divorce, the loss of a job or a failed business venture, um, the death of a pet or a loved one. But sometimes these moments are going to be more universally felt. Uh, 9-11, the separation of families at the border, the Syrian situation, uh, the Parkland school shooting, or the Charleston church shooting. You know, what, whatever the situation, we all experience times in life when our heart breaks and we question God and we wonder why he would allow this to happen. Thankfully, though, uh, we have the examples from the Bible and um, examples of when everything seemed to be falling apart and we can study and look at it and apply that wisdom into our own lives. And so if you have your Bible with you, we're going to be primarily in Acts. Um, <clears throat> if, you wanna, uh, if you don't know where Acts is, uh, flip your Bible about a little more than halfway, I would say, and then find the New Testament, and then it's going to be the fifth chapter. Um, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. And we're going to be in the second chapter of that book. Um, most of you have a phone now, so just download the Bible app and then search for Acts, and then it'll come up. Um, <clears throat> but starting in uh, chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, Pentecost, or the festival of Pentecost, as it was probably more widely known back then, uh, was one of three Jewish festivals that Jews were required by law to attend. And so it stands for 50th, and it was uh, 50 days after Passover. And so, uh, you know, if you remember, um, you know, back in the Gospels, Christ died right around Passover. And, uh, and so we are about a month and a half after Christ's death and resurrection. Uh, all of this is important because it, it was a result of Pentecost and this festival that all of Christ's believers were able to be gathered in one place, Jerusalem. And so, continuing on, at that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. And I'm going to butcher these, so I don't want any emails or texts afterwards, but um, <clears throat> uh, here we are, Parthenians, Medes, El Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, 
Cappadocia, Pontius, the province of Asia, probably my ancestors, Phrygia, uh, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both the Jews and converts of Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Then Peter stepped forward with the eleven other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this, these people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. Now, Peter apparently wasn't unlike a lot of modern-day preachers uh, who like to hear themselves speak, and so um, he can't pass up this opportunity of having a crowd and speaking to them. (coughs) So a crowd gathers, and Peter proceeds to go into the first-ever Christian sermon. And so we fast-forward to the end of his sermon, and in verse 41, it says this, Those who believed what Peter said, were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now I want you all to imagine for a bit that uh, within Huntsville and its metro area, Uh, which would have been about the same population size of Jerusalem at this time, uh, contained all the Christians in the entire world. All right, so about uh, three to 4,000 or so Christians. And these Christians, uh, they had come from, you know, Birmingham and Montgomery and Florence and Nashville and, I don't know, what other towns are around? Ardmore. Um, (coughs) And these Christians, after hearing this life-shattering message, Uh, They didn't want to leave the only place in the world where they could learn more about Christianity from the apostles. And they didn't want to leave the only place in the world where they could be around others who believed what they believed. And so, uh, being from Huntsville, um, what would your reaction to these out-of-towners be? You know, of, of course we would have the same reaction. Of course we would open up our home. Of course we would feed them. Of course we would make sure that they had no needs. And, and so that is uh, the same response that the early Christians had. And that is exactly what we read is happening here in the early church. And so at this point, uh, I know you guys are probably thinking, what does this have to do with anything, right? Um, And I'm getting there, and I just need you to hang with me a bit longer. Uh, We're almost there. I just had to set it up and have you understand a bit of the background of the early church before we could move forward. And so to sum up 
what we've covered, right? Uh, all of the Christians in the world at this point are in Jerusalem. Um, but with most groups of people, you get, you know, 3,000 plus people together, and there are going to be differences. And so flip over a couple pages to Acts 6, and we begin to see some of these differences coming to light. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. <clears throat> then the apostles, no, then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Once again, I'm going to butcher these. Stephen, a man full of faith and, and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, like Parmenius and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. And so this is our first introduction to Stephen. And while a lot is not known about him, we do know that he was described as a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, <coughs> excuse me, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Sicilia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders, and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. Now, I know you guys are probably getting bored of all this history. So to keep things short, uh, in Stephen's defense to the questions from the high council, he goes on and he goes on to accuse them and tell them of everything they as a group have done wrong in their history and how they have continually ignored God's law. Now, imagine you were the high council. This obviously wouldn't go over very well with you. And if you take a look in Acts 7.54, it states the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusations, and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
he fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Now Luke, which is the author of Acts, describes Stephen as a man that was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. He was also uh, one of the seven men who was chosen from many candidates to help with this food distribution. And so surely God could use a man such as Stephen, who was full of the Holy Spirit, to further his kingdom. Yet here we read about him becoming the first Christian martyr. Why would God allow this? Surely God made a mistake here, right? You know, a, a side point, the Greek word for martyr is martis, and the Greek word for witness is also martis. Um, as a witness for Christ, we need to be willing to do anything for the cause, whatever the cost. Stephen was. We should be too. And so, continuing on in Acts 8, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. Now, at this point, if you are a Christian in Jerusalem, it would seem as if your world was crashing down around you. Why would God allow for Stephen to be framed and then stoned to death? Why would God allow for Saul to persecute your brothers and sisters? And here's the truth that a lot of people forget. We live in a fallen world with a spiritual war waging. You see, Satan thought he was gaining a victory here. He thought he would crush Christianity in its infant stages. He would kill Stephen and then persecute the church and Christianity would be done. But God, he had a better plan. You see, if Stephen wasn't martyred and persecution never happened, Christianity at the time was perfectly comfortable being and growing in Jerusalem. But once persecution happened, everyone who was in Jerusalem for the Pentecost, they went home. They scattered and went back to where they were from. But they took Christianity with them. Was Satan meant for evil? God used for good to further his kingdom and spread Christianity through the region. A popular and one of the most quoted verses in the Bible is uh, Romans 8.28. Many of you probably know it without me having to read it, but uh, I'll read it anyway. Um, it states, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. How can this be, right? Uh, we know that bad things happen. They happen all the time. Is a cancer diagnosis good? How about the death of a child? 
or a spouse or being laid off? Is a school shooting or a church shooting good? How about 9-11 or the Holocaust? Of course not. None of those are good. I can definitively tell you and that all of those things are bad and all of those things, they stink royally. <clears throat> and, you know, maybe you're going through a time in your life when everything seems to be falling apart and your heart just aches. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that you need to find the good in whatever situation you are in. But what I will tell you is this. There is a spiritual war going on, and there are going to be casualties. Bad stuff is going to happen, and your heart will ache. But my God, our God, the God of the universe, he doesn't make empty promises. He will work the bad into good. And he is victorious. And so, bringing it back to the story I told at the beginning, when my world seemed to be just falling apart because my longtime girlfriend broke up with me. I know, right? Who would break up with me? Um, <coughs> but what I didn't know at the time was that God was orchestrating a plan. Uh, you see... My wife was also about to get out of a long-term relationship of seven years or something. And for the first time of having known each other, um, about ten years, we were both going to be single at the same time, which allowed us to date and eventually get married. And so what felt life-shattering at the time opened the door for something better. <clears throat> and so my prayer for us today is that when life takes us through the bad, we will hold on to and remember God's promise. Sometimes we'll get to see the good, but other times we may never see it. But my prayer is that deep down, we can know that God can and he will work it together for good. And so if you want that, uh, God's plan for your own life, um, come find someone and talk. Um, we would love to walk you through on how to make that happen. Uh, I think now we are going to <clears throat> transition over to communion. Um, if you are visiting and you're not quite sure what that is, um, feel you know it's just something we church people do. It may seem a little strange. Um, uh, you know, feel free to participate or not. Uh, we we won't judge you either way, and so um, we just want to make you feel welcomed and and not judged. So, um, but we're going to transition over to communion. Uh, but before we do that, I'm going to say a prayer for us. Uh, Father God, I just I thank you for having a plan, and um, I thank you for loving us and. Uh, walking alongside us when we hurt, and we can't help but cry, Lord. I thank you for um, defeating Satan and, um, and continually working against his plans to make a better one, Lord. I thank you for your love and the sacrifice of Christ 
And I pray that we remember that sacrifice as we take communion, Lord. And I pray all this in your son's name. Amen.